Uh, do you remember in uh, 2020 when it seems like every commercial on TV started with the words, in these unprecedented times? I thought if I heard those words one more time, I was going to just lose it. Because if it's just between you and me, I'd, I'd rather not live in unprecedented times if this is what it's going to be like. But it certainly does seem like there's uh, something different about the current age we live in, and especially when we start talking about an issue like conflict, right? It can be easy to convince ourselves that we're the most conflicted people in the history of the world. I mean, whether it's uh, politics or race or the pandemic, it just seems like there's nothing we can agree on. It certainly seems like we're in a time of unprecedented division and strife. Uh, John Perkins is a uh, African-American pastor. He's 91 years old. He's a pastor of a congregation in Mississippi. He's been pastor of the congregation for 60 years, and uh, he lived through uh, the civil rights movement as a civil rights activist. And just last year at a preaching conference, he said these words. He said, this generation today is the first to turn hate into an asset. Ooh. That stings, right? A man who, who lived through the division of the civil rights movement, who knows the reality on the other side of that, says that today we live in a generation that has turned hate into an asset. And we certainly have, haven't we? We've learned how to kind of commodify hate. Just one scroll through social media, one minute watching the news, and you know that we trade in the commodity, the asset of hate in our culture. Seems like we are more divided than ever, and we experience more conflict than ever before. So where do we turn? When we want to handle conflict, where do we turn? As followers of Jesus, when we're looking to handle conflict that the world has never seen, where, where do we turn? Well, the good news is, is that it only takes us about two pages into this book to start finding answers. Because Genesis chapter four is the story of Cain and Abel, and it is the first conflict that ever happened in human history. And it reveals to us that maybe we're not so special after all. Maybe conflict is something that we've been dealing with since the beginning of time. My name is Jake Davis, and I'm the college and creative pastor here at Mountaintop, and I'm humbled and honored to, to get to speak to you today and share with you out of Genesis chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel. And before we get started, I'll let you know, I, um, I am a sibling. I have one sibling. He's a brother, and he is older. And so if you're familiar with the story, you kind of know, you know, hey, listen, we haven't killed each other yet, so we're doing better than Cain and Abel, all right? But this story is, it's what not to do, right? It's how not to handle conflict. Like, spoiler alert, don't murder your brother. I mean, step one, right? Just write that in your notes. Don't murder your brother. But honestly, this is what not to do. But I also think that as we get into the story, we'll begin to kind of gain some practical wisdom for what it looks like to handle conflict in a divided world. So let's just jump right in today into our text. It's in Genesis chapter 4. Verse 1, and it starts like this. It says, Adam knew his wife, and this isn't just like he knew of her, right? They slept together, okay? And she became pregnant 
and gave birth to Cain, their firstborn. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. So we see here, birth order, right? Cain is the older brother and Abel is the younger. It continues on. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. Um, And so you can even see in their occupations, they're kind of um, divided, right? They're they're different from each other. These are different guys. And if you remember back to Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, they're kicked out of the garden, and because of their sin, God uh, curses them. And the curse that he gives to Adam is that he will, by the sweat of his brow, work the fields of the earth so that he can produce crops for them, for their family to survive, right? And so Cain, the firstborn, has taken over the family business, right? He's a farmer. He's working the soil. And Abel, on the other hand, is uh, a shepherd. Uh, uh, He's in animal husbandry, right? He raises animals. And so just by product of their occupation, you start to understand the way that they're different from each other. Uh, Cain, being a farmer, he would have had a plot of land that he farmed every year, year in and year out. He was pretty sedentary in where he went. He, He stayed at that plot of land. If it produced crops, he stayed there year after year, and it produced crops for him. Abel, on the other hand, kind of followed his animals wherever they could find resources. And so he lived more of a nomadic type of lifestyle. And so you can even see uh, this text is kind of laying the groundwork here for the conflict that exists between them, kind of giving us some, some keys to the conflict that exists between them, even in their occupations. And then, as Ben said earlier, it all starts with an offering. All right, it says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel, he also brought an offering, the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now, the text isn't explicit about why Cain's offering is rejected and Abel's offering is accepted. Uh, Ben alluded to earlier that possibly it's because Abel brought the first fruits, the fat portions of uh, his his firstborn animals, but uh, we don't really know because the text doesn't say explicitly. However, sometimes when we're interpreting scripture, we can look at other parts of scripture and it can interpret itself for us. And so when we look at Hebrews chapter 11, there's actually, uh, the writer of Hebrews is actually retelling this story and he says, now Abel by faith brought a better offering than his brother. And it was because of his faith that he was credited righteousness. And so what we can understand is that Abel brings an offering in good faith and Cain does not. This is what separates their offering. But the result is that uh, Cain is very angry. And I can understand that, right? Because Cain's a farmer, right? He kind of relies on the God, the creator of the universe, to bring rain and sunshine and good soil so that he can produce his crops. And so this offering, this rejection of this offering by God has implications on his personal well-being, on his livelihood. And so I I can understand him being a little angry. But this offering kind of serves as the launching point for the conflict between Cain and God and Cain and his brother. Now, conflict can be caused by all sorts of stuff, but I think the root cause of our conflict can be found just a chapter earlier in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sin against God, they are kicked out of the garden, they introduce sin into the picture And now we have brokenness. Humanity and creation are broken. 
And because of that brokenness, we now have conflict. Even in the curse that God gives to Adam and Eve, there's this idea of enmity that exists. Our brokenness as a result of our sin nature creates conflict. But I think there's three ways that our brokenness manifests in our lives that directly lead to conflict. And these three, I think, are things that we see on display in this story. And so most conflict is the result of one of these three things. The first is envy. And I mean, can't you just imagine <clears throat> that Cain was particularly maybe a little jealous or envious of his younger brother, right? He's like, hey, I brought my offering. I brought, I brought the crops of my fields. Uh, why, why am I not getting the favor that, that my little brother, little pipsqueak over there is getting? I'm a little jealous of that. And if we're honest with ourselves, this is um, an attribute of our brokenness that we can allow to pull us into conflict as well, right? The comparison game, looking at what our neighbor has and wanting it, covetous, you know, envy and jealousy can pull us into conflict with each other. The second is this, it's embarrassment. And can't you just imagine that Cain was a little ashamed that his offering was rejected by God? And Again, if we're honest with ourselves, <clears throat> a lot of times when we feel shamed by other people, we want to get into conflict with them, right? And our embarrassment leads us into conflict. And the final way that our brokenness might present itself and leads into conflict, and this is a big one, it's ego, <clears throat> right? We all have the propensity for a little bit of arrogance, right? We're, we're prideful beings, and so we see this in Cain, right? He is prideful and he ends up taking the offering that is supposed to be for the worship of God and making it all about himself. He becomes angry because his offering didn't get accepted the way that he thought it should, and so now it's all about him and not about the one that he was supposed to be worshiping. <clears throat> and these, these three areas of our brokenness, envy, embarrassment, and ego, they can lead us into conflict. But then conflict also has things that it produces, and so the three things that conflict results in are also display, on display in this story of Cain and Abel. And the first is this, and we see this right off the bat, anger, right? It says, Cain is angry. And the word used here in the Hebrew is like, he burns with anger. He's real mad. And this happens with us, right? right? When we get in conflict, it produces anger in us. And our natural reaction is to, is to act like Cain and to get angry with the person that we are in conflict with. Secondarily, we can, uh, conflict can result in apathy. And Cain probably learned this, uh, and we did, from Adam and Eve, right? We see in their story, when they uh, get into conflict with God, Adam is very passive. He kind of like doesn't want to take any responsibility for what's going on. He uh, doesn't do anything to stop Eve from eating the apple, and then he eats it himself. He's very passive and apathetic. And we can do this in conflict as well, right? We can become very passive-aggressive, we can become very apathetic, and, and not really want to deal with the issue. And the final is this, and it's like it, it's avoidance. And again, Adam and Eve were the king, uh, king and queen of avoidance, right? They sin and they hide in the garden from God. And in, and, and in reality, when we're in conflict, this is a go-to for us, right? A lot of us, we just like, ah, I don't want to get into the fray. I'll just avoid it, act like it's not there. It's not really an issue. I don't, I don't need, we don't do the whole conflict thing, right? So these are some of the results of, of conflict in our life. And here's the deal. Conflict is unavoidable. 
Because like I said, it's a product of our brokenness. And we're all broken, and we all deal with other broken people. And so conflict is uh, inevitable. But these results that come from conflict, we are not stuck with these. These are three of our responses to, to conflict. We don't have to respond this way. We don't have to get angry. We don't have to become apathetic, and we don't have to avoid. We can do better. And you might say, well, Jake, how do you know that? I say, because the text is about to tell us so. And so the story continues on. The Lord approaches Cain, and he says, why are you angry? And why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Like, Cain, you know what to do. If you do what is right, well, will I not accept your offering? If you, if you bring your offering in faith, will I not accept it? I'm a good God. And he gives Cain another chance. But he gives him a warning as well. But if you do not do what is right, careful. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But you must rule over it. Sin is crouching at your door. Anybody who ever been in conflict kind of relate to this, right? You're like, yeah, when I'm in conflict with another person, I can feel sin crouching at my door, making me want to react in a way that is not godly. I, I certainly relate to this, right? I, I constantly feel like sin is just there on the doorstep waiting for me to open the door to it. But you must rule over it. Here, here's, here's the truth of this, right? Conflict is unavoidable, but it's not uncontrollable. It's unavoidable. We are going to be in conflict with other people, but the results of it are controllable. We can control it. And listen, we're responsible for controlling ourselves and conducting ourselves in the right way. Not only that, we're capable of it. It tells us you can, you may, you must rule over it. And the sooner that we begin to understand that the only thing that we actually have control over in conflict is our own conduct, the sooner that we'll be free from conflict. Uh, I like to imagine <clears throat> Cain kind of sitting in a room all by himself, right? Let's just, for our purposes this morning, let's just call it Cain's room of conflict, all right? I like to imagine him sitting there kind of isolated in his emotions, he's kind of stewing in his anger, he's a little depressed, his face is downcast, and I imagine two doors. <clears throat> and one door over here is closed, and on the other side of it is sin, crouching at the doorstep. And then over here we have a door to righteousness. Cain's emotions were not responsible for opening either of those doors. That was on Cain. Cain made the decision to, for which door to open. And we'll see in a few minutes that he chooses poorly because he's angry. And he allows his anger to determine how he acts. Remember I told you that <clears throat> he uh, had a, it said that his face was burning with anger. Well, that same word is used in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, verse 29, uh, or uh, chapter 29, verse 22, it says a hot head, and this is that same word for anger, burning anger. It provokes quarrels, and one mastered by anger commits all kinds of sins. See, the offer that's given to Cain by God is, hey, you can rule over your sin, 
But if you let anger master you, you will commit all kinds of sins. A hot head provokes quarrels. The writer of Proverbs gives us additional wisdom in verse 17. It says, but whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. And so before we step into conflict, we have to make a decision to have a cool spirit over a hot head. If we are going to allow our hot head, our burning anger, to determine how we react, then we have already stepped out of line. We need to decide to have instead a cool spirit that listens first and doesn't react out of our anger. You see, we choose <clears throat> to either open the door to sin or shut it and choose righteousness. So the way to handle conflict in a biblical manner is to make sure that we do what is right no matter what's been done to us. See, the sad reality of this story is that Cain begins to convince himself that he is captive to his conflict, and he walks out the door toward sin. See, God gave him grace. In his anger, God came to him and said, hey, hey, Cain, here's how you miss the mark, but you can do what's right. I'm giving you another opportunity to do what's right. But Cain doesn't take hold of God's grace. Instead, he turns God's grace into a grudge. And I wonder how many of us this morning are guilty of having done the same thing. Because God has done the same thing for us, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's grace should expose in us ways that we've missed the mark, sure. But it should also give us a new opportunity to choose what is right, a blank slate. But so often, we take God's grace and we put it on the shelf and we pick up our grudges. And we allow those grudges to hold us captive. You see, because when we hold grudges, we hold ourselves captive. We've been given the grace of God and instead we choose to squander God's grace on a grudge. We refuse to extend the same grace that was extended to us to others. We'd rather hold on to a grudge than the grace of God. And when we hold on to grudges, we hold out on sharing the grace of God with others. Anne Lamott, she's a novelist, and she says it this way. I love this. If you're an Alabama fan, you're probably familiar with this. Not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. It's, it's nonsensical. It doesn't work, right? Holding on to grudges only harms ourselves. And here's the, here's the irony. By refusing to share the grace of God and forgive, we rob ourselves of experiencing the freedom that God's grace gave us in the first place. We become the ones who are captive to our conflict. I like to think of, a, uh, when we chase after vengeance, I like to think of a dog who's chasing his own tail. If you have a dog, you know what I'm talking about, right? They just run in circles, chasing their own tail, right? It's pointless. What are they doing? 
They're being silly, right? They're chasing their own tail. It's a frivolous task. It's always just out of reach. And then if you actually do accomplish your goal, the only person you bite is yourself. That's what it's like to chase vengeance and to hold a grudge. And when we hold grudges, we hold ourselves captive. Oftentimes, the person we have a grudge against doesn't even know, right? There's a good chance Abel has no idea that Cain's so upset. Let go of your grudges and, and hold on to the grace of God. You know, Cain knew this captivity all too well. And he decides that because he couldn't let go of his grudge against God and his brother, he decides that he's going to take control of the only thing that he can, his own actions. And he uses them to harm. In verse 8, we're told, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. Now remember, Cain's the farmer, right? So a field is his territory. This is Cain's turf. This is where he's in control and he has power. And he's, he's like, hey, let's go to the field to, to handle our grudge with each other. We do this in conflict with people, right? We're like, hey, I'll negotiate with you. We can handle our conflict, but it's going to be on my terms. Like, let's go out to the field and, and kind of compromise, right? This is not the way to handle conflict. While they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. I mean, like, over a few vegetables, and we think we have it bad with the conflict today. No, this is something that has been plaguing us since the beginning of time. Here's what Cain decided. He was so envious of his brother, so ashamed of his rejection, and so wrapped up in himself that all that mattered was making someone else feel the same pain and embarrassment that he felt. We are capable, though, of walking away from the path of Cain and choosing righteousness. I'm convinced, however, that we will not learn to handle conflict until we realize a central truth about ourselves. We're broken, just like Cain. And we're capable of choosing righteousness, but we're also capable of some really evil things. Listen, let's be honest with ourselves and each other. Because we are broken when we're wronged, our default is to do wrong in return. And it's easy, it's really easy to allow our brokenness to overwhelm us and cause us to act in ways that are terrible. The sooner we recognize that sin is crouching outside of every one of our doors, the more likely we will be to choose the other door. You see, when we acknowledge what we're capable of, we see very clearly our deep and desperate need for God's grace. And we simply cannot allow our jealousy and our shame and our pride to control us and cause us to harm people that we're in conflict with. Because conflict can often be the result of harm, right? It can often be the result of being harmed by someone else. And we're in conflict because we feel like we've been wronged. We really have two choices. We can take the path of Cain and decide that we're the victim. We can become controlled by our emotions and turn our, heart, our hurt into more harmful behavior. Or we can take the path of Jesus 
a man who had every right to feel wronged, but instead he chose grace. A man who, who, while hanging on the cross, was nailed there by nails that he didn't deserve. And while there, he looked up to his father and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. We did that. We put Jesus there. That's what we're capable of. But Jesus chose to forgive us anyways. We are desperately in need of God's grace to choose the other door. You're like, Jake, that sounds great and spiritual and everything, but you just don't understand my conflict. Like, I'm right. I'm in the right. I deserve to win. And I would just look at you and say, that is the spirit of Cain still alive in you today. Because as followers of Jesus, we're not called to win. We're called to have integrity. When we're in conflict, we can either be conduits of harm or honor. We can either harm the people we're in conflict with, or we can honor them as another person created by our God. Because when it really comes down to it, conflict is really just an internal battle between character and conquest. Cain is, is given a golden opportunity to show his character, to change his behavior, and instead he chooses the way of conquest. We have to decide. Is conflict about claiming victory, or is it about showing virtue? Are we more concerned with winning or doing what's right? And if we don't answer this question before entering into conflict, I promise you our sin nature will take over and we will sacrifice our integrity in order to win. But conflict, it's not about proving a point. It's about being people of principle. As followers of Jesus, we have principles that we are supposed to live by. And it's not worth sacrificing those just to prove a point. If you forfeit your integrity to win in conflict, then you've already lost. Sin has already devoured you. So we have to decide to care more about doing right than just proving others wrong. That can be tough because I want to win. I'm right. I deserve to win. But we're people of integrity. The Hebrew scriptures use a word for integrity, and it's yosher. And, and yosher, we translate it throughout scripture as integrity or, or honesty, but it really, it really means more like uprightness or uh, walking on a straight path. And again, we turn back to the book of Proverbs for some wisdom. It uses this exact word. It says, whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly. You'll share. Right, it walks in a straight path with honesty and integrity. But those who despise God are devious or crooked in their ways. See, conflict has a, a weird way of tempting us to make decisions that are not in line with the character of God. 
and to get off the path of righteousness and, and to kind of take a detour, a crooked path to get our way. We have a choice. If we live upright, will we not be accepted? Be careful, because sin is crouching at our door. You must rule over it. We have to decide to care more about doing what's right than proving other people wrong. The story continues. The Lord comes and he says to Cain, he asks him a question. And oftentimes when God asks us a question, it's not because he needs the answer, it's because you need to hear the answer. Where is your brother Abel? And here we see Cain's apathy and avoidance. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? I can just imagine that for the rest of Cain's life, these two questions must have just echoed in his head. Like, am I my brother's keeper? What have I done? I would imagine that he had flashbacks to that day in the field with his brother's blood on his hands. What have I done? Am I my, bro- my brother's keeper? And the answer to the question is yes, Cain. You are your brother's keeper. It matters how you treat your brother. When we're in conflict with another person, it matters how we treat them. We are our brother's keeper, and we are supposed to keep them from harm. So how are we doing? Are we keeping our brothers and sisters safe when we're in conflict with them? Or do we, too, have blood on our hands. The story continues. God says to Cain, listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. I think it's significant that the first time we hear from Abel in this story is after he's dead. When we are in conflict with other people, do we give them a voice? Or do we just shut them up? Make no mistake, God is on the side of the voiceless and the vulnerable, and he will hear their cries. But he curses Cain for what he's done. He said, now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. See, Cain realizes that his conflict has consequences. Conflict has consequences. God robs him of his occupation and his location. He makes him a wanderer on the earth. Unresolved conflict has consequences. And more than that, check this out. Genesis 4, verse 14. Cain says, today you are driving me from the land and... I will be hidden from your presence. Unresolved conflict can destroy our connection with God. Unresolved conflict with others can destroy our connection with God. When we have enmity with other people, it can harm our relationship with God. Listen, our sin 
our, our personal sin is the only thing that can keep us from God. It's the only thing that keeps us from his presence. And so personal holiness matters. The way we conduct ourselves matters because it has direct consequences on our relationship with God. Sadly, the conflict between Cain and Abel, it's, it's never resolved, right? Because Cain just kills him in cold blood. When we do the same, when we leave conflict unresolved, or we manipulate the conflict in order to get what we want at the expense of our brothers and sisters, then we sin and we damage our connection with God. Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 encourages us this way. It says, instead, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and what? To be holy. Personal holiness is important because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Our personal holiness has a direct impact on our connection with God. And so we should make every effort to live in peace. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Uh, John Steinbeck, he wrote uh, the book East of Eden. It's one of my favorite books. I think it's his best work. It's a modern day retelling of this story. It's about a family of uh, brothers uh, who can't escape the sins of their father and they have conflict with each other. My favorite quote from the book goes like this. It says, you're going to pass something down, no matter what you do, or if you do nothing. Even if you let yourself go fallow, the weeds will grow and the brambles. Something will grow. So what are we allowing to grow in our lives? because something's gonna grow. Is it the, the bitter roots of uncontrolled anger or, or grudges that, we hold a, that hold us captive or comparison or envy or shame or embarrassment or pride or arrogance? What is growing? If it's a bitter root, Hebrews tells us it'll just cause trouble and will defile not only us, but those we're in conflict with. Instead, what if we choose to plant grace and make sure that no one falls short of God's grace by planting it in our lives? Here's, here's how the story ends, okay? And I love this because Cain becomes concerned that he can't escape his consequences, that they're too much, the weight of them is too much for him to bear. He's concerned that his reputation as a killer will precede him and that this conflict will continue to hold him captive by labeling him as the murderer that he is. And he's concerned that he'll get what he deserves. And someone will kill him as a consequence and vengeance of his sin. Listen to what God says. Not so. Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. This is the beauty of God's grace. Even when we mess up, God's grace wins.
even when we choose the door to sin, we get what we don't deserve. Sin doesn't devour us. Cain is fresh off of a murder of his own brother in cold blood, and yet he still receives God's grace. That is the good news of the gospel. If you've messed up, if you've chosen the door to sin in your life, you get a fresh start with God's grace. If you've, if you've botched this whole handling conflict up until today, there's hope for your future in Jesus Christ. You are forgiven, and he can set things right again, even things that we've broken. God is in the business of redemption. Your conflict doesn't have to define you. Your harmful behavior and actions, it doesn't have to be your identity anymore. And sin does not have to devour you because God has marked you with his grace. And you're free to choose what is right once again. And if you do, will you not be accepted? by the God of the universe who loves you and gave himself up for you. Let's pray. Father God, we need you. We need your grace to come and infiltrate our hearts so that we might shut the door to sin and walk in the path of righteousness so that we might not harm those we are in conflict with, but instead honor them as your created beings. God, would you give us the strength to choose to walk away from the path of Cain? God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the gift of your son, who when we didn't deserve it, loved us and died for us. And God, would you make our hearts holy ground? And would you plant a nice helping of your grace there so that as it grows up out of us, others would be able to experience your grace, even those we're in conflict with. God, we desperately need you to transform us and to help us be more like your son as we handle conflict. Come near to us. Change us. We love you, God. Pray all this in your name, in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.